As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to be with Ryan Hawk in our studio. Ryan is the founder and host of The Learning Leader Show, a podcast listened to by millions across over 150 countries. Ryan's also the author of Welcome to Management, How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader, a book in which Forbes called the best leadership book of 2020. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you having me, Mike. It's good to be with you. So Ryan, from podcaster to podcaster, you have the pleasure of really sitting in two seats. One, you're a leader who's out bringing good into the world, inspiring others, captivating audiences, and really help people go from top performer to excellent leader. But you're also looking at the lens of others as well. So you're gaining insights while providing insights, which is a, a great and special place to be. As you're doing that, Ryan, what are some of the key behaviors that you've observed by talking to others that you feel like are some of the, the less discussed traits of true, excellent leaders? Yeah, you mentioned the, the kind of unique perspective of, I feel like I'm always oscillating between learner and teacher, learner and teacher, whether I'm interviewing leaders on my, my show or I'm on a stage or I'm working with leadership teams. So it's, and I think that's a good healthy mix. Uh, I think you also learn a lot through the, the act of teaching, being forced to get clarity of what you believe and what you think. And then sharing that with other people is where you really kind of figure out what is your philosophy? What do you believe? What do you think is most effective? And what are you learning? Uh, as far as some commonalities I found among leaders who sustain excellence, if I had to pull probably two or three, initially, I would say that may be a bit surprising, at least in the old sense of what leadership is about, is that the first behaviors that they are very thoughtful and reflective, regularly have time built into their days to stop, pause, reflect, analyze, think. Being called thoughtful is one of the greatest compliments I could ever receive somebody says that to me, that means that they believe I'm a deep thinker. And I found that to be a, a commonality among leaders, whether it's the CEO of Whole Foods or a college basketball coach, who I've had both of those on my show, whether Chris Holtman at Ohio State or John Mackey at Whole Foods, the CEO and founder, is that they're very thoughtful people. Spend regular moments in reflection, analyzing their actions, their behaviors, what went well, what didn't, what should I keep doing, what should I stop doing? And then what follows from being thoughtful is they're very intentional. They don't wander around the world, crossing their fingers, hoping for the best. They act with intention and with purpose. There's a reason behind each and everything they do. I like to study stand-up comedians, actually, Mike. And the reason why I think stand-up comedians are a good case study for leaders is because the good ones, at least, are relentless and ruthless with 
their intention for each of their jokes. They are cutting every possible word out of the joke to make it as tight as possible. And so they act with great intention. And yet, if you were to watch them and not really analyze them, it looks like they wander on stage and just start talking. But that's quite frankly, the opposite of what they do. So I would think of a stand-up comedian when it comes to acting with intention. And the third thing I would say is they have a bias for action. Can't just be sitting in the corner reading books and taking notes. They actually go out and do it. They, they take what they've learned and put it into play instead of just talking about it or reviewing it. They're regularly taking action. And so when I think you, you combine those, a person who is very thoughtful, who acts with great intention and then has a bias for action, that gives you a, a, a good chance to achieve excellent levels of performance and then to hopefully sustain it over time. Ryan, what I love about these three as you just went through it, it allows us all to reflect of how do I compare what am I doing here that is thoughtful, intentional, and that brings a bias to action. You know, I think in the world of podcasting and content, you know, there's those that just listen and there's those that are listening for specific guidance and wisdom that they can immediately take to their team, take to their organization, and even put into their own life. Do you see the dynamic of relationships outside of work and inside of work? Do you see those habits lived out in both of those areas of connectivity to others? I don't believe you could flip this leadership switch. I mean, the, the, the most effective leaders I've spent time around and studied, they're one whole person. And so you kind of bring your whole self to work and your whole self home. And there isn't that it's really integrated, I think, in the leaders who are making it happen over time. I've rarely seen somebody who is intentional and purposeful at work who at least doesn't have some of the same discipline at home, whether it's working out or spending time with family or being intentional as a mom or a dad, a lot of that carries over. It's not, it's not perfect. The world is gray and it's messy and it's not always perfect. But yeah, for the most part, I found the most effective leaders are whole leaders. They don't really have a switch. They are who they are. They bring their whole selves to work and their whole selves home. And I don't know any other way to do it personally. I think that seems to be I am who I am. I have my same quirks and, and weird uh, personality traits that my wife knows all about as well as the people I work with. So I think that when it comes to being building trust, you have to be an authentic person to yourself. And you can't really, I don't really think you can be authentic and build trust if you're constantly changing who you are depending on the room that you're in. Yeah, and Ryan, I think it's a key learning that we have found at the Talent Magnet Institute and at Centennial, our boutique executive search firm, that there are individuals who are basically, you, you are who you are, but you can put emphasis, and usually most people put a lot more emphasis, unfortunately, in the work component, and not as much in the relationships and life component, until they hit some type of wall or barrier or realization that Wow. I mean, I just recently had a conversation with a leader who said, Mike, I, I don't think I even really started true, authentic relationships with my children until they were in their 20s. Because the first 20 years of their life, I was grinding. I was you know, running two organizations. I was growing and expanding. And those are the types of things that we, I know you and I both 
don't want to do, right? We want to truly be living best self now and not just thinking about, I think, a generational struggle that some have is, you know, I'm going to work, 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 work until I have this moment in time where I can start focusing on other things. And I know that we're trying to raise up leaders that aren't thinking like that, right? That are living now, living in the now, bringing their whole self and being leaders who also expect and set a tone that we want our people to bring their whole selves as well. Yeah. I'm curious from the, the executive search part of what you do, is that still a big part of your business? Yes. So from that aspect, I know it's a case by case basis and certain places probably are looking for different people, but like, what are the top must have attributes for a senior level executive that you're going to place somewhere? Yeah. So one of those is the ability to bring out the best of others, right? So a history of that type of success where they they're on a team and the team rises up because of their presence. And usually one of the ways you find that is you see the ripple effect that they've had in their career and they're honored to share that, you know, these individuals that I led are now in this leadership position and that leadership position. And it's a very natural discussion. The other is a great listener, someone who's clear in their direction, but a very, very gifted at asking and positioning the right questions and then to listen for the feedback and guidance. And they learn not only what their team members say, but how they say it. The other is someone who enables those to bring their whole selves, someone who's an ally for all of their employees and who actively reaches out, mentors, coaches, and equips, not just those that look, act, look, act and operate like themselves but all of the talent they bring into the organization get better and feel as though this is the safest place I've ever worked. This is the place I can actually unlock my potential because they trust me and they expect it to bring everything I have into this role. And I have in, you know, again, in the roles that you and I serve in and the leaders that you and I are, right? That we're doing that for others, but seeing organizations that have a leader with those three abilities, you typically see tremendous trust throughout the entire company, alignment with customers. People have the ability to, to flex up and do things they never thought was possible in their careers. And that's the kind of leaders we want. That's the kind of leaders our clients want you know, that it's not about them. It's about what they can bring to bring out the greatest good of others. Yeah, that's awesome. Love it. Ryan, as you think through the, you mentioned the world is gray and messy. What tools do you put in place personally to kind of manage the gray, to figure out the difficulties that face us as leaders, the difficulties you've seen others face as leaders, and how people navigate that, the messy middle, which is all the relationship stuff. Well, I think one of the great benefits from having interviewed so many leaders from a wide variety of industries, levels of experiences, life experiences, is you gain great perspective. And for me, as, a, as I've matured a bit and grown up some, I've become less judgmental because I've met so many people from different 
spectrums of life from different experiences of mine. And so as I was earlier in my career, I was probably quick to judge somebody if they didn't do it like me or if they looked different than me or if they acted different than me and sometimes could be critical of someone for maybe making a poor decision. Yet what I'm doing in that moment is not realizing the luck factor of my life, of the house I was raised in and my parents who are still an integral part of my life, of my brothers who do the same for me. When you look around, you start to realize that someone like me, who I've got the the experiences I've got to have happened to me and the parents and family I have, I'm very lucky. And most people are not, at least not at the level that I am. And I realize that. And so I think I've become much less judgmental about other people and what they do and perhaps mistakes they've made because they weren't as fortunate as me. And I think that is where the world is more gray. I think it's a much better way to lead and a much better way to live to understand those differences in people and not be so quick to be judgmental or harsh on someone else, especially when the sum of their life experiences are dramatically different than mine. And I've tried to get better at that and I'm still a work in progress, but I think that's a a much healthier way to be, especially when I speak with people who are more experienced than me they seem to have that figured out a lot better than I do where they're like, no, I've seen a lot more than you and realize the differences in people and upbringings and experiences. You should chill out on judging people so quickly. And I think if anything, I've I've really worked at that and and have gotten a bit better, but still, still a ways to go. I love the comment you just made on work in progress, right? That we as leaders are, should always be viewing ourselves as a work in progress. And when that stops, you know, kind of the flame burns out, right? I think we're both in a, in a stage of our career. And as you mentioned, kind of the awakening that you've had that right now our flame is burning very bright to change the world, right? To reach others, to inspire others. Um, and when you step on stage, Ryan, what are some of the, the internal messages that drive you, that motivate you, that you're trying to live out that you want to share with the thousands of people who, and millions of people now, who have turned to you for, for guidance and direction and inspiration? When I step on stage or recording a podcast, there's typically a lot of prep work done in order to have a better understanding of who is in the audience and what it's like to sit in those seats. So while it looks like one hour of work when you go up and give a talk, it's tons and tons of hours and prep work preparing for specific ideas and stories and practical takeaways for the people that are sitting in those seats. I grew up in a sales organization at LexisNexis. We went to national sales meetings. We'd have keynote speakers come in and share at those meetings. And there was a big difference between the ones who you could tell actually cared about me and the, and the other people, my colleagues in the audience, and did the work to understand our challenges, our language, everything that we did, versus the ones who just rolled out and did their normal hour. And I really appreciated the ones who I could tell did the pre-work to understand what my life was like a little bit better. And they spoke to me. It's like, have you ever been to a great service, whether it was a speaker or at church or anything where you could say, oh, and I think of Charlie McMahon at Southbrook Church. I'm like, Charlie was speaking to me and only me today, yet the 600 other people in the crowd are probably saying the same things in their head. And so I try to think about that. And so each, each engagement with 
an audience, whether it's on a stage or it's in a podcast, I'm actively thinking about that the entire time as I'm preparing and while I'm on stage and try my best to make each person feel like I'm speaking directly to them, like I've listened to them, like I have an understanding and some empathy and compassion for what they go through. And hopefully what I'm sharing could help them. And really, uh, my, my speeches are three parts. It's story, science, and practical application. So I try to tell entertaining stories that are memorable. I try to share the science that makes those stories true. And then I try to answer the question of so what or why do I care? And that's the practical application of each talk. So if you hit all three of those and you check all those boxes for the entire hour, you're, the audience is going to leave pretty happy. And the person who booked you is probably also going to be happy. And so that though takes a ton of work and a ton of prep to have an understanding of how what stories work best, what science makes those stories true, and what's the practical application for each one so that somebody actually takes action when leaving and not just says, oh, that was fun. So my hope is to actually change behavior. And I, I do my best to do the prep work to make that happen. That's excellent, especially in a time like this, right, where people are I mean, I don't know what you've been experiencing recently, but we're still seeing very high registration to turnout rates in the events that we put on, you know, and to your point, I mean, we talk often about the importance of speaking to that one person in that audience who's going to be able to say, wow, I have not been thinking about that or wow, I'm not the only one, right? And I know from those who have been in your audience that you always leave individuals with active engagement mentally and emotionally to kind of self-reflect, self-evaluate, and then say, you know, here's what I'm going to do about that, right? So I love the story, science, and practical application, I think is a great takeaway for those listening in the audience, not just for when you're on stage, not just when you're recording a podcast and storytelling. But in every meeting you're in, right, even as, you know, we talk, everybody's talking about the phrase Zoom fatigue. And the reality is if our meetings are unintentional and they're not connecting with the audience that we have, that's what drives the fatigue, right? So step up your game, engage the people that you're with, no matter who's in the room with you and whether that room is virtual or physical at this point. Ryan, as you think through the, the last year, what are two or three of your takeaways from the guests that you've had? And have the stories changed? Have you sh- seen a shift in dialogue and where those important factors are based on a pandemic, social, racial unrest, businesses, some incredibly busy and high performing, but struggling to retain people and other organizations? you know, struggling as a business and questioning the strategy go forward. What have been some of your takeaways as you think back the last year of how the conversations have shifted, if at all? Well, I think it's, especially from my sports background, I think it relates well to last year. It's much easier to be a leader when your team is winning by a lot and things are going well. The people that I really looked to was, what is your body language? What is your attitude? What is your choice when we're losing at halftime? when things are going bad, when we're physically beaten up. I mean, my background mainly is in football. I played all sports, but football was the one that sent me to college for free. And I think, think about the people that I looked to when we were getting beat. And I think that's the proper metaphor for me for last year is when with all the leaders that I work with is this is the time. This is the time that people are going to remember. 
And how do you want to be remembered as how you handled this? Do you have a plan? What's your attitude? You are the emotional thermostat of your team as the leader. So how are you choosing to show up in whatever function it is? If it's on Zoom, if you're seeing people, if you're not, whatever it may be, they're looking to you. And you can either create confidence in them or you can create uncertainty and doubt. And so that was the big thing was we focused heavily on the attitude that we showed up with, the willingness and ability to pivot in some cases, dealing with some companies I work with that actually skyrocketed last year versus other ones that plummeted primarily based on pandemic-related issues. And how are we going to respond in either way? whether this actually helped us or this hurt us. And just a reminder to everyone that it's much easier to be a leader when things are great. Everyone wants to be the captain. Everyone raises their hand. But, but what are you going to do now when people are slowly backing away and just trying to hang on and play defense? Let's play offense. Let's understand that now is our time to really shine. Now is an opportunity for us to show why we are leaders, why we've chosen to be leaders and why others have chosen to commit to us and to follow. And so let's just, it started first and foremost and it's continuing really to today of our mindset towards adversity and viewing it as an opportunity and getting tough when times are tough because people are counting on us. And that's, a, that's an awesome responsibility and a burden at the same time. But we've all chosen this. We've chosen to be leaders. And if this is not something we want. We should choose not to be leaders because it's not for everyone. And especially when it gets hard, that's when you find out who is actually for and who it's not. Yeah, I have heard often, Ryan, we've been encouraging people to reach out and actively call or send a handwritten note to those individuals that you go, wow, I have seen a lot of positive affirmation. I've seen a lot of positive action. I've actually seen them living out the values that our organization says we stand for. Because as you noted, this time I believe is the time that our employees that are with us now, that those that are looking to you, whether it's your children, your family, your friends, your colleagues, your team, they're going to remember how you responded for decades to come of what we just have experienced over the year plus, right? And this is, this is the best test of who you say you are is during a time like this, right? Which it's a key and pivotal part of people to really reflect, have I enjoyed this experience? Am I motivating people during this time or is it completely exhausting me? And that could also determine your next decade of leadership because there may be a different role that you need to find yourself in. But we are going, all of us are going to remember every organization and team that we're on at this time. And everyone that we're going to for advice and guidance historically, are those still the people that you're going to after how they've responded with what they've done? So I love that. I love what you shared, Ryan, on, you know, that now people are counting on you your attitude and how you show up. I was just this past weekend, we were at a two basketball tournaments. So my nine-year-old played in two basketball tournaments instead of one, went seven and two, lost our two games to the same team. But watching our boys play hard in both of those games and at the end of it, still being respectful to the victories, right, that that other team had, 
and listening to how these nine-year-olds, and it's all coaching, right? Their coaches, they don't want them to win every game, right? Or we're in the wrong bracket. We want to be 500 is what our coaches say all the time. Like we want to play tough and we want to have victories, but you can see just nine-year-olds continue to perform and have their, call it the tides raising the boat of the entire team. So it happens no matter what age we are. You know, we're looking for the attitude of our coach, of our leader, of our mentor. And, you know, as leaders, to all of you listening, are you that kind of leader? Are people turning to you still during this time to get direction? Or is there some type of void that maybe there's a a gap in how you say you're leading to how you really want to be leading? Ryan, thank you for for everything that you do in the world of leadership. It was encouraging to hear from individuals. There's a friend of mine, Jeff Shapiro, that's a listener to both of our shows and countless others that had reached out when we set, shared that you were going to be on. So we encourage those who aren't listening yet to the Learning Leader podcast to subscribe. Ryan, I also shared with you that you're the first father-son duo other than my father and I to be on our podcast. So uh, episode 118, we had your father, Keith Hawk, on with Don Frerichs, one of our faculty members. So I think that's also a little thing, you know, a little uniqueness that goes into this dialogue, being in a family business. My co-founder at the Talent Magnet Institute is my father. My chairman at Centennial, the boutique executive search firm my family owns is my father. So I've always got a special place in, in my heart for those who are can be father-son duos at all times. Yeah, man, don't you? It also makes you just so uh, appreciative and that sense of gratitude for being lucky to have an awesome dad, man. Like, it's just, I mean, or in my case, both parents. Like, it's just, it's the more you grow up, the more you realize it. And I'm just so grateful for that. And and whatever episode my dad was on with Don, I'm sure it's a lot better than this one. So go listen to that one. <laughs> Check out episode 118. Not because of the host, but because of the guest. <laughs> Brian, so as we, as we wrap up here, what is one additional encouragement and a can piece of accountability that you'd like to uh, push out to our listeners as we depart? I just asked, posed the question, and, and that question would be, who is your who? I've been really lucky to have some great people become friends that I've recorded podcasts with. One of them is Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, which is like the leadership Bible for me. It was the first ever leadership book I read. We recorded a few times. And during the first time Jim and I recorded, he, he really stopped me in my tracks because I was very excited. I was animated. I was nervous. And I was talking a lot about what I was doing and the why behind everything I'd, I was doing. And he said, I need to pause you real quick, buddy. And you need to first focus on who is your friends, who is your mentor, who will you help, who will you surround yourself with, who will you marry. All of that, it will be the single greatest determining factor in your long-term success or failure. And so focus, focus maximum effort on building mutually beneficial, deep, meaningful relationships with people. And I did not think like that when I was 25 or even 30, really. I, I would say I've had to mature to that and get good advice. And so if there's one thing I would tell someone who's a little bit earlier in their career is don't think like, what am I going to get out of this from this person? Just try to build 
a deep, good relationship with people in general. And even better if it's people that you really admire and you look up to. Try to add value. Be intellectually curious when you have the opportunity to meet with them. Be prepared. Ask questions. Send follow-up thank you notes. Build relationships with people and show that you actually care, right? As you mentioned, be a good, deep listener when you're fortunate enough to have conversations with those people. I didn't do any of that. When I was younger, I was just too selfish. And I think that's a, that's a, a mistake. And so to anybody, just think about your who and who is a part of that who and what are you doing specifically to build great relationships with other people without thinking, what am I going to get out of this? What you're getting out of it is just the chance to have awesome conversations and build friends. That's enough. And if something other beneficial comes from it, like a job or whatever, great. But don't go into it with a transactional relationship. Try to have transformational relationships with people. And you keep doing that time after time after time. You'll look up one day and be like my dad who has all these amazing relationships because he just tries to help people, tries to be a good guy, tries to build friendships. And I think like that's as good as it gets, man. Like that's what it's really all about. Like what does Warren Buffett say is happiness? It's just that people that you love, love you. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to beyond just your family and your spouse, it's friends and, and colleagues and other people, man. Think about your who and really invest heavily and being better at that than I was when I was earlier. Now I'm, you know, trying to make up for lost time there. But, but I think that's something that that is critical for people to really focus on. And and I would say a, a lasting piece of advice I would share. Ryan, that is a great way to leave our listeners and ourselves. I'm reflecting right now on that myself. Yeah. Right. So let's focus on our who. Yeah. Who is your who? Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. And thanks for all the prep and, and the good work that you do. And to our audience, thank you. Please reach out to Ryan, if you would, write it down or take a mental note about the Learning Leader Show if you're driving. If you've got your app up, go ahead and add it to your list. You will thank us later. <laughs> and to those of the Learning Leader Show who are listening to this episode, thank you for being a part of this. and. Ryan, I appreciate your leadership, your inspiration, your courage, your boldness, and uh, everything that you bring to your work. Uh, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to share, man. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, 
produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.